0: Well, this is a real treat for me, and especially to be part of this series, the Inside Out series, um, because I really think that the nothing describes our relationship with God and the spiritual rhythms of our life with God any better than the phrase inside out. Uh, there is that sense that there is always this ongoing, if you just imagine the rhythm of the waves of the sea, there is this ongoing process of the waves moving out, the waves coming in, and that's the way our life with God is. What comes into our lives from God and that we pour out then into the world on his behalf and to accomplish his purposes. So tonight we're going to be talking about our inside relationship with God, and there's, I love this topic, there's no topic in the world that I like talking about any more than this one, because I think our inside relationship with God is the foundation that we use to hang everything else on, isn't it? Uh, nothing else that we can do uh, can be done if we don't have that strong, it, internal foundation with God. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, our inside relationship with God. I hope you've had a chance this week, uh, especially this weekend, to be watching some of the coverage of uh, Hurricane Florence. That's kind of hard to get away from, isn't it, as you turn on your TV. But this morning when I was just watching it a little bit before we came to church, they made it the point that there were a million people without power, now in the Carolinas. A million people without power. Now you can imagine how many communities that represents. A million people, communities totally without power. And it's hard for us to even comprehend the devastation that occurs. We saw pictures of boats that had been flung into front yards, power lines down everywhere that many communities, that many people without power. So when you talk about the LFC as a community and how significant that community is, one of the things we want to remember is we don't want to be a community without a sustainable source of power, right? We need a sustainable source of power in order not to be a community that is devastated by the winds and the waves of everything that goes on around us. And so sustainability is a kind of a big word these days, isn't it? Our son actually works in a company whose entire purpose is sustainability. And I tried to think of a a definition of that. And for me, a fairly simple one that maybe we can all kind of remember is just that healthy balance movement of resources into a community and resources out. And that healthy balance allows the community to prosper and to grow. So what we're going to think about tonight then is, how can you have a relationship with God that is sustainable for the long haul? Because for a community like yours to grow and to have a sustainable source of power, it requires that each one of you have a sustainable source of power. And it, because of that, then the community is able to be growth, growing and vital in its purposes. So how can you have a relationship then with God that is sustainable for the long haul, not just for your time here at UT, not just for this semester? How can you have a relationship that is sustainable for your entire life so that you can have an abundant life yourself, so that you can glorify God in your life and so that you can bless the lives of the other people around you. Makes sense, right? A sustainable source of power. I love the song Lighthouse. What a, what a great song to sing tonight. Because there is that sense that we want that light, the energy, the source of God's light to be our power source for our lives. So the LSE mission statement, let me tell you that I actually contemplated a technologically superb PowerPoint for tonight. And since I have no capability to make one of those, uh, I decided, because you all are some of the brightest kids around in the state of Texas and from other states as well, that you have the ability to imagine everything I need you to imagine, So here's the first thing I want you to imagine. Imagine in your head that you have one of those big Post-it notepads, right? The kind that you can write on and then pull it off and stick it on the wall. So you're going to have one of those in your head tonight. And you're going to have to draw very intricate things. So just be prepared. But on your mental notepad, that's what I need you to do because that's our PowerPoint for tonight. Okay, so let me talk about your, your theme, your mission, okay? I want you to, I, our first image that I want you to have on your little sticky notepad is a big triangle. Can you do that one? A triangle, okay. And we're going to talk about your mission statement, okay, your mission statement. And so your mission, which I love it because Kerry talks about it at the beginning of every, every time I hear him. Right? This is your mission: love God and love others. And it is based on Jesus' statement in Matthew 22: You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and soul, and mind, and you are to love others as yourself. Okay. So in your on your triangle, are you ready? Because you got to have a pen, a marker, mar- marker, sharpie, marker, a sharpie marker in your mind okay you got one of those at the top of the triangle this is our i have a name for it this is our relational triad triangle are you impressed relational triad. you can write that at the bottom so you will not forget what this is relational triad triangle so at the top guess who's at the top you know, try, we're going to make it a right side up triangle. So, who, what would you imagine that you would put at the top point? God. God. Very good. <laughs> I said you were the bright. So, we use your marker, write God at the top. Okay, so you're going to come down the side, right, to the, one of the other corners. Doesn't matter which one, whether you're left or right handed, does not matter to me. Whichever corner you choose, write what? Would you guess? Others, right? All right? Love God. Love others. Now, here's this problem. Because I like this image of the triangle, we've got an empty corner. So what I want you to think about, now, if you are an English grammar major, do we have any, is there such a thing as an English grammar major? Well, we just invented one. So, since none of you are English grammar majors, you may have forgotten something you learned in high school about imperative sentences. But I want you to note that your mission statement and Jesus' statements in Matthew 22 are what we call imperative statements. Now, what that means is, number one, there's two things that means for you. Number one, it means there is an implied subject, all right? And the second thing it means is that an imperative sentence is a sentence that's usually used for giving commands, Or instructions all right so let's think about that just a little bit love God what is the implied subject you you love others what's the implied subject you and when Jesus says love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and your mind that's a commandment he doesn't back away from calling it a commandment does he But who is the implied subject of that command? You. You love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. You love others as yourself. And so, I've got it figured out, who we can put in the third corner. Who would you like to put in the third corner? You. All right? You. So now you've got this triangle. You've got God at the top, you've got others on one side, and you've got you. You are the third member of this relational triad. It's kind of an audacious thought then when we think about it, that Jesus says to us, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and you love others as you love yourself, All right? An audacious thought. How can we even begin to do that? So what I want you to do is rip that sheet off the top, stick it on the wall. You've got to have a wall along with your pad. Stick it on the wall, draw another triangle. And this is called our challenge triangle because, quite frankly, this whole idea of loving God and loving others has a pretty big challenge attached to it, doesn't it? All right? So on this triangle, obviously, we're going to write the challenges. The challenge is to love God, love others, and love yourself. Okay? Now typically we would start with loving God, wouldn't we? Because I've all heard that my whole life. God first, others second, you're third. Right? Tonight I want you to start with loving yourself. We're going to talk about it first I'm not saying it's the most important. What I'm saying is it's the one we're going to talk about first. And there's a reason for that. Because you are um, in this, in this, um, well, we, we think about the challenge of loving God and loving others. But I think sometimes, The implied, unspoken thing that hangs there is that we're supposed to also love ourselves, and that's not always easy to do, is it? We think about how hard it is to love God. Sometimes that's not always easy, how hard it is to love others, but sometimes we need to think about What's it like to really love ourselves? And that doesn't mean when I'm talking to you about loving yourself, it's not talking about bragging. It's not talking about being self-important. It's about seeing yourself as God sees you and loving what you see. So you are not an inconsequential member of this triad. You are not a silent partner in this triad. Because if you'll think about your triangle, you are in relationship to the almighty God of heaven, all right? And you are in relationship to all the others that he brings into your realm. So part of what you have to do is to think about yourself and to see yourself in a way that reminds you how special you are because you are a child of God. And it reminds you that you need to have a true picture of of yourself. You need to see yourself clearly why because when you think about it when jesus talks about how he wants you to love god does he say a kind of generic everybody ought to love god well that would be quite you know we'd kind of all go hmm but what he says is i want you to love god with your heart with your mind with your soul he wants you to know all about that inner life, your inmost being is one of the phrases we see in the Psalms. And he wants you to know about your heart, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your soul. And he wants you to see that clearly so that when you're turning that toward God, you have a true sense of what, what, your, what that relationship with God's looking like, right? Right? And he also says, I want you to love others as yourself, right? So it's very, very important for you to have a sense of seeing yourself clearly and, and then loving what you see in order that you can actually have a framework for what you're giving over to God and what you're directing toward others. So here's my one little aside that I want you to know about. There's a lot of entities out there claiming to be legitimate standards for you determining what you see when you look at yourself. And let me urge you, if if your vision of yourself, when you sit down and go, what do I think of? What do I see when I see myself? If that is an image of shame or darkness or disappointment, I want you to know you're using the wrong mirror. And I want to urge you to step away from that mirror, whatever it is. Because the only true reflection you can get of yourself is when you look at the Word of God and see yourself as God sees you. Okay? Now that's another whole, we got other lessons on that, but I want you to do that. So the first thing, even though we often say loving myself is not the most important, I want you to have that because it's really that vi- vision of yourself and as seeing yourself as God sees you that gives you the impetus to move toward God and toward others, right? So here's the bad news. I want you to love yourself And right in the middle of that triangle, all right, you still got your triangle, still got your marky, sharpie, marker, Uh, I'll get that. By the end, I'll have that one right. In the middle of that triangle, I want you to write, you can't do it. Because the reality is that on your own, under your own steam, by your own energy, by your own willpower, you cannot love yourself well right? What about God? What about loving God? We're going to go to the next point of the triangle, loving God, all right? The news is still the same. You don't need me to quote you a lot of scripture. You have enough life experience already to know that when it comes down to really trying to love God wholeheartedly, it's really hard to do, isn't it? It's really hard to have a sense that you're giving God your whole heart and your whole mind and and your whole soul. And we haven't an, we know that from experience. I remember being a young child. I decided to become a baptized believer in Jesus Christ when I was about eight or nine. I was pretty young. And quite frankly, I chose to do that again when I was in college because... I kind of began to doubt that as an 8-year-old I knew really what I needed to do. But back in those days, we don't see this much anymore, but if you worship at a church, and you would, at the end of the worship service, they would give people an opportunity to walk down the aisle and ask for the prayers of the church, you know, if they felt they needed prayers for help or healing or confession or, you know, whatever, You ask for the prayers of the church. Well, as an eight- or nine-year-old, I was baptized, and then about every three weeks, I went down and asked for the prayers of the church because I was very conscious then, even as a young child, that I couldn't be faithful to God the way I imagined that someone who loved God should be faithful to them. And I can remember finally my mom kind of saying, Sweetheart, you know, it's okay. You know, you don't... you don't have to probably go for the prayers of the church every three or four weeks. but what I And and that was comforting to me because, you know, I, I was pretty impressed already as a young child that um, the standards, I had pretty high standards for what loving God and being faithful to God looked like. And without realizing it, I was learning one of the great truths that when it comes to loving God with your whole heart and your whole mind and your whole soul, You can't do it. On your own, by your own strength, by your own willpower, you can't do it. Now, I would imagine that you're smart enough to figure out that when we talk about loving others, what would you say might be my conclusion? You can't do it. On your own strength, out of your own mind, out of your own willpower, you can't do it. So what are we going to do about this? Well, there's bad news, and there's good news. And the good news is that you can't do it on your power with your power source, but you can do it on a different power source. If you are connected to God as your power source, with God's work in you, you can do it. You can love yourself. You can love God. You can love others. There's an image we use in spiritual transformation that's the image of a butterfly. It's the, the, the story of a butterfly. Now, when you see a butterfly in the sky, uh, it's usually beautiful. And we, we think about uh, freedom and the glory of a, a butterfly. But you have to remember that at some time in that butterfly's existence, he was a what? A caterpillar. A worm on the ground crawling around. Eating leaves, right? And so that caterpillar, in order to become a butterfly, he's not just tweaking some external stuff, right? He's actually got to undergo a rather seismic change in his internal being in order to become a butterfly, doesn't he? And that's what happens to us Because what we have to have is just a a seismic change within us that enables us to do these things that we have not been able to do under our own power. So this, what I consider kind of your theme song, you're not singing it tonight, so perhaps it's not a theme song, but it is at least a good song from the inside out. And what does the writer of the song say? He says, In my heart, in my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. So there is that point that the only way that we can have the power we need to love others and to love God and to love ourselves is if we give God the control to make those changes inside us that are so big that we cannot do them for ourselves. So the question is, then how do I give God control, right? How do I do that? How do I give God the control in my life? What I can do, I, in order to let God take control of my life, what I can do is create the conditions in my life that allow God the greatest access to do the work in me that he wants to do in me. Okay? Does that make sense? I can't do this work for myself. I cannot change myself. But what I can do is create the conditions in my life that allow God the greatest access to me in order that he can do the work that he needs to do in my life. And how do I go about doing that? Well, here's the answer for tonight. The answer is what you can do is begin maintaining a spiritual rhythm or a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep you open to receive whatever it is that God has in mind for you. You may not even know what that is. But what you're going to do is to begin a rhythm of spiritual practices whose purpose is solely to open you up and to give God access to your life in order that He can accomplish what He needs to do in your life. And so the practices themselves, Ruth Haley Barton says in a book called Sacred Rhythms, the practices themselves are the basic components of a rhythm of intimacy with God that will nourish your own soul and keep you available for God's surprising initiatives in your life. So there's three practices I want to recommend to you tonight. Now, most of us think of the spiritual disciplines. We've heard them called disciplines for a long, long time. Uh, Spiritual disciplines is is a phrase that comes from way back in, in early Christianity, we're going to call them spiritual practices because most of us kind of flinch a little at the thought of them being disciplines. So there um, are three that I'd like to share with you tonight, and I find them to be kind of the beginning point for spiritual practices. Now, many of you I know already have a life in prayer and scripture. These may be just slightly different than you, than you have in that um, in the the practices that you already have as a part of your life. I can remember a time sitting in a church uh, in Abilene where we were, and I can remember sitting there, and here I was, the preacher's wife, sitting on the second row. Everything about my external life of faith seemed to be in place, and I can remember thinking there's got to be something more than this to this life with God. Life in the Christian community often does not encourage us to think about the deepest longings of our heart, uh, to pay attention to our longings for love or our longings for deep and fundamental change. We want our lives to change. Or our longings for a way of life that actually works. Or a longing for something to motivate me other than just guilt and obligation. Uh, for a kind of deep, visceral connection with God and with other people. And so when we feel those longings in ourselves, we often don't have a place in our Christian community to approach and deal with those longings. So what, here's my question for you tonight, what do you want in your relationship with God? Most of us feel like that's a selfish question, don't we? But that's the reality is what do you want in your life with God? You get to you get to choose. You get to think about what you want in your life with God. What is the desire of your heart in your relationship with God? What is the longing you feel when you think about? Living in relationship with God your whole life, and it may be a very simple thing. We had a, we talked to a guy once who said, "You know, all I'm trying to do is cuss less and read my Bible more." It may be that simple, or it may be I'm tired of living with depression and anxiety and fear driving everything in my life. I want to be free. From that, You know, the longing can be small or what seems small or it can be pretty big. But the reality is your desire as you stand before God and say, Lord God, this is what I want, is the truest thing about you. In this moment, whatever you stand before God and say, this is what I want in my life with you is the truest thing about you. And until we have named that desire in God's presence, once we name that desire, then we can begin to discover some spiritual practices that leave us open to God and to his ability to address that desire in us. And if we skip this part of the process, then we go back to the old thing of being driven to pray or to read our Bibles or whatever just because we feel obligated to. But what if instead of feeling obligation, you came to those spiritual practices of looking at God's word or of prayer because it was the way to open the door to receive the desire of your heart? That's a whole different way of coming at it, isn't it? That's a whole different motivation. And so I want you to start with a practice that's addressing discovering the desire of your heart. And I want you to do this. If we had time tonight, we'd do it here, but we don't have time. But I want you to do it sometime in your own in your own quiet time, in your own time with God, okay? I want you to look... In the book of Mark chapter 10 beginning in verse 46 and there's a story there about a blind man named Bartimaeus now Bartimaeus is sitting by the side of the side of the road he uh, hears that Jesus is coming he calls out he cries out his friends around him say be quiet Bartimaeus he keeps crying out Jesus comes to him and do you know what Jesus says he looks at Bartimaeus and says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, wouldn't you think that'd be obvious? When you think Jesus says, I know what you need. You need me to help you see. That's not what he says, is it? He says, what do you want me to do for you? And so the spiritual practice in discovering your own desire is I want you to spend time just meditating on that story. And the person beside the road doesn't need to be Bartimaeus. Who does it need to be? You. Okay? It's you sitting beside the road. You are blind. You need something from Jesus. You cry out. Imagine yourself crying out to him. And then imagine what he looks like, what he sounds like, when he says, what do you want me to do for you? Discovering your desire is the beginning place in our relationship with God because it opens up us up to all of God's initiatives in our life. I want you to stay with this practice. Don't feel like you have to rush past it. Do it once. Do it again. Think about John 1 where the apostles are following Jesus and he turns to them and says, What do you want? Imagine yourself following Jesus down the road and he turns and looks at you what do you want me to do for you discovering your desire is the first step the second spiritual practice I want you to think about and these are three that I want you to think about using the entire semester this is not do it this week so we can talk about it next week this is for the entire semester for this entire school year you don't have to do a lot of them. Just think about these three practices. And the second one is creating space for God in silence and solitude. Somewhere along in our spiritual journey, we come to the time when we just go, I just need to have some time alone with God. And so that, thi- that kind of encounter is called Solitude. It's crime when you've created a space to be alone with God. So solitude is a place in time where you've set apart a piece of time to just be with God and God alone. Solitude is also just a physical space. Find a space that's meaningful and set that aside, whether it's in your room, whether it's in a park, whether it's, you know, whatever is a space where you can be alone with God. Solitude is also a space inside you where you just say, I'm going to spend time alone with God here. And silence then, solitude is being alone with God. Silence is coming to God without a lot of noise and chatter in your mind, all right? Pushing away the noise and chatter of your life and your addiction to that noise and chatter in in order to be alone with God. So the practice I want you to think about when you think about creating this space for God is the practice of finding a breath prayer, and your breath prayer, as you settle into a quiet space, your breath prayer has two components. The first is an expression of your deepest desire, what you found that you really want in your relationship with God, combined with a name for God or an image of God that is most meaningful to you at the time. And so you then begin thinking about those two things your desire for God, your image of God, and you put it into a prayer that resonates with your breath or that matches your breath. So you breathe in, you breathe out. You breathe in, you breathe out. My breath prayer, the first breath prayer that I discovered was, quieten my spirit, Lord, and I hear a reply from him. Let go. Be still, listen, quiet in my spirit, Lord, let go, be still, listen, breathe in, breathe out. Your breath prayer can be something as simple as, come Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. But it is your breath prayer that then enables you to come into this time of quietness. And solitude and quietness with God. And when your mind wants to scatter and go about your breath prayer brings you back. Just to that stillness. You're not looking for emptiness. You're looking for the fullness of the presence of God. And it is that breath prayer that keeps bringing you back. Bringing you back. Bringing you back. So discovering your desire. Placing yourself in the story with Jesus. The second thing is solitude and silence. Finding and creating a space for God alone and allowing that breath prayer to become a way of centering you in that. And then the third practice I want you to think about is a practice of prayer. Because prayer is all the ways that we communicate and commune with God. And let me give you two clarifications of that communication is with words, communion is without words. So all the ways that you talk with God, all the ways that you are just in God's presence and are just with God come under the umbrella of prayer. And the practice that I'd like to share with you tonight and that I'd like for you to think about using throughout this semester is what we call the ACTS format. And most of you have probably heard this one. This is probably familiar to you. But it's spelling the word ACTS, A-C-T. T, S, as a reminder about all the ways you can come to God. Acts, A is adoration. C is confession. T is thanksgiving. S is supplication. And then I've heard recently, somebody just adds an L at the end. That's which kind of funny. Acts, but... Acts with an L at the end is listening. And so what I want you to do, the spiritual practice that I want you to think about is this. Read the Psalms. Pick up your Bible. Pick a Psalm. Allow the Psalms to become a teacher for you. Allow the Psalms to teach you new words and new phrases. So that you learn to adore God in a different way that you allow yourself to develop a new vocabulary for praising God. You know, I have trouble praising God until you start reading the Psalms, and it's just amazing all the ways that David praises God. Allow the Psalms to train you in adoration. Let the Psalms teach you the... The depth of confession and what it means to come before God in sin or in sorrow, confessing your faith, confessing your need for God. Allow the Psalms to teach you that, allow the Psalms to give you an attitude of gratitude and teach you what it means to be thankful and grateful to God. Let the Psalms become your teacher for learning what it means to ask for God's blessing on behalf of others and on behalf of yourself. And while you're doing that, get you a little journal and write down just some of your reflections about what it means to learn from the Psalms to... Pray to communicate, to commune with God in richer, deeper, deeper ways. Those three simple practices, you've got a triangle on a new page, write those down. Discover your desire, create a space for God in silence and in solitude, and then pray, communicate, and commune with God using those three simple practices. And so our question that we had at the beginning, we're gonna end now, is that how can you have a relationship with God that is sustainable for the long haul, not just for a semester or two at UT, but for your whole life, so that you can live an abundant life, so that your life will glorify God, and so that your life will always be a blessing for others. And the answer we've explored tonight is this, it's all about connecting to a sustainable power source that is God at work in you. And as you do the work, the work you have to do is to rearrange your life for spiritual seeking, to create a space for God in your life, to embrace the spiritual practices that just keep you open and accessible to God so that God can surprise you with all the wonderful things he wants to do in you. And that life will nourish and feed you and will also become fuel and encouragement for your life with others and your life in this community. So let me pray this blessing over you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being